Thank you for listening to Truth in Life, a concise Christian belief series. This class was taught on a Sunday morning at Christ the Word Church because we believe that God's Word is truth and that His truth should shape our lives. For more information on our church, visit ChristTheWord.com. All right, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Truth in Life. I'm glad you're here. It's good to see new, new faces. I like the faces from the last group, too. They were a group that took a little while to warm up. The first week, so the same material that I'm planning to cover this morning, I met with a lot of blank stares. And I think that's my fault for not communicating to them that um, I'd like some interaction. So I encourage that with, with you guys. If I tend to just start rambling on, don't hesitate to raise your hand or just jump in. I don't mind interruptions. And I think sometimes I don't, I just keep going and I fail to get feedback and input. So I don't know how the other teachers are doing the other modules, but I like that. And so I'm looking forward to your comments and your input and your insights. So welcome. Let's open in prayer. Uh, Keith, could I ask you to open? Thanks. My gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you, Father, um, for the freedom and opportunity we have to come as a congregation to study your word and then to hear it proclaimed to us. Thank you for your word that you've given us. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. I pray, God, that your uh, blessing will be upon this time and all the classes, and that you would speak powerfully to us, and that, that our understanding and love for you would grow. Amen. Thanks. All right. So this module is on the attributes of God. In Truth and Life this year, there are two modules on the attributes of God. I think you've come through one already, right? On the attributes. So there's a different emphasis in this module. It's not just different attributes. It's there. We've lumped um, the leadership who came up with the curriculum here has lumped certain attributes together. This module is um, God Knows and Rules is the name of it. So we're spending a lot of time on knowledge and a certain branch of philosophy. It's kind of theology, but more technically a branch of philosophy um, called epistemology. So this week is it's kind of that sort of thing, which is not naturally my deal, but um, I've enjoyed studying it, enjoyed learning it, and enjoyed teaching it. So I hope it's helpful. But here we are, attributes of God, God knows and rules. There's a passage on the screen here that, in a sense, it sums up this, this material. Okay, from Isaiah 46. Um, our topic this week is, is God's knowledge of himself and the world. I'd like to tie that into his lordship as well, but that will come later. So, so if you have a handout, hopefully you got a handout. AJ gave you a handout on your way in. This week is God's knowledge of himself. So the attribute is knowledge. Specifically, we're looking at his knowledge of himself and the world that he created, and then we'll connect it to his lordship. So um, let's just start at the beginning and discuss attributes in general. Two types of attributes, communicable and incommunicable. Can anyone take a stab at explaining? Let's start with communicable. Uh, 
new term to you? Anyone familiar with it? AJ, go ahead. Okay, good. That is exactly correct. Does anyone want to add to that or contrast that with incommunicable? Yeah, Daniel. Excellent, all right. You are a master of the prefix in. So communicable, these are attributes we share with God. Now, any qualifications on that? How, let's think about it a little bit more, Cheryl. Yes, exactly. In fact, Cheryl used the word perfect. Sometimes um, when you're reading about attributes of God, they'll be called perfections. And the Westminster Confession uses that term at points. So attributes, when, when they're God's attributes, can accurately be described as perfections, the perfections of God. So that's right. The communicable ones we share in, but we're always less. We're doing so imperfectly. God's doing so perfectly. He's complete, he's bigger, he's better in every way. So all the attributes that we cover in this six weeks that are communicable will always have that qualification. We're imitating God, we're doing our best, we're striving to do better, but we're limited. So what are some examples? Let's, let's list some examples of communicable. Let's shout them out. AJ? Good, more? Okay. I'm not gonna write Ness every time. Okay. Love. Yeah, love. Love's an interesting one. Scripture describes God as being love. So there's sometimes people quibble about whether it's an attribute or not, but I don't it's not the purpose of this class. I say yes. It is. What's that? Okay. Yes. Okay. I should mention a note about my handwriting. It's poor, <laughs> particularly on a tablet. But you guys actually have it made. My Apple Pencil is working for the first time in a month. And you should have seen how it looked with me trying to use a non-Apple pencil. It's completely useless. Other communicable attributes? Justice. I missed one. Kindness, good. How about um, Power, wisdom, good, okay. So I think we've got a picture of it, right? I guess we don't need to list them all. Um, you have a feel for this. What would be some incommunicable attributes? I'm sorry? Okay. Good. Others? Omnipotent. 
Anything that starts with omni? Okay, so omnipotent, that's a good example. Om, omnipowerful, omnipotent. AJ's powerful, right? But he's, as soon as we say omni, AJ's out. I'm out, we're all out. So anything with an omni prefix becomes incommunicable because of that, even if it could be communicable before. Bill, did you have one? Create something out of nothing. Okay. Yeah, I don't know how to write that down, but it is exactly right. Yeah, yeah, out of nothing, yeah. Others? Daniel? Eternal. Okay, all right. I'm going to write that down because David Bailey is not in here. <sighs> Ten years ago, I taught, oh, this, now I... <laughs> Cheryl, could you give us a minute and just step outside? Um, ten years ago, in this room, I taught a Sunday school class, and I don't know, David and I, just in the middle of it, got into a disagreement about whether humans are eternal. Because in my study of theology over the years, I think theologians classify us as not eternal because we, we, had, we have a beginning. David pointed out, well, what about eternal life? And so, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but as long as we have a beginning, God does not have a beginning. So I'll put it down here, and that's what we mean. No beginning, no end, that's incommunicable. Others? Immutable. Yes, immutable. So God does not change. We do not share in that quality. Anything else? Okay, yep. Good, I'll just keep that under eternal. Yep, we're all on the right track. Um, infinite. Okay, again, there are others, but this gives you a feel for it. All right, here we go with epistemology. Um, this is basically the theory of knowledge, the study of knowledge. How do we know what we know? That is frequently how people describe it. How do we know what we know? Let me ask a question. To, get started here. What separates true knowledge from opinion? Okay, so this is under the heading of epistemology. Question for us, what separates knowledge from opinion? Okay, so objective truth, good. replicated without a doubt. Like knowledge is it's 100%, anyone can do it over and over again, but an opinion is solely that one event. Okay. Yeah, I like that. And that sounds, I'm, my background is engineering, so that sounds a lot like the scientific method, yeah. repeatable. Okay, I think there's some real overlap there. That's a good point. Okay, I, don't, I wanted to ask that question. I'm interested in 
an input here. I don't have a quick answer for that, though. That's kind of an open-ended question to get the ball rolling. But this is epistemology, the theory of knowledge. How do we know what we know? What separates true knowledge from opinion? The word epistemology comes from the Greek word episteme, which just means knowledge. That's what the word means. All right. It's not the purpose of this class to dive deep into epistemology. Um, first of all, I can't do it. I'm not, I don't, it kind of drives me crazy too. It's not my thing. Um, I think you need a longer beard and you have to smoke a pipe. And so <laughs> could bring Ryan up here maybe, and he could be of some help with this, but you have to be a deep thinker. I'm not so much a deep thinker. I'm practical, but it's important. And so we're going to look at it from a surface level and then apply it to our lives as Christians, I hope. That's my goal. So what if I look at this here? Does this surprise you that I say you can believe something, that something you believe can be true, but you don't know it's true? So do I really know something, or do I merely believe it? So think about the distinction there. There's a, in epistemology, in philosophy, and theology, there's a difference between those two. We, you may tend to lump them together, but do I really know something, or do I merely believe it? And how can I know that I know it? That's the question. And so in this branch of theology, you can believe something, that something you believe can be true, but you don't know it's true. So philosophers and theologians have defined knowledge, true knowledge, as this, justified true belief. Okay. Here's a triangle to help us understand it. Your, your handout, by the way, it, it has a section called Objects of Knowledge. Do you see that there? That's there simply to point out that this portion of the class is we're really only discussing propositional knowledge, okay? Propositions. We, these are things we know. We know things. We know that. Does that make sense? We know that as opposed to how or knowing a person. So this We'll get beyond this, hopefully quickly, but right now we're talking about propositional knowledge, things we know that are true, not the how and not the who. So um, if I, I might know how to shoot free throws in basketball, that's a how. I can't, it's different than knowing that. So it would be a different process for me to teach you how to shoot free throws with knowing people, knowing in relationships, that sort of thing. Um, I may know a lot of facts about President Biden. I may know fewer facts about my UPS driver. I know a few things. I know that his name's Pete. I know that he has two kids, okay? That's about all I know about Pete. I may know way more about President Biden, but do I know President Biden? Or do I know Pete? So that's the, that's the who. So there's how, there's who, and there's that, the propositional stuff. The propositional stuff is where we're at right now. Okay, so justified true belief. Let's start in the, in the bottom right corner with the belief 
portion of it. Okay, so for me to know something, for me to truly know it, I have to believe it. Even if it's true, and we'll get to that more in a second, even if something's true and I don't believe it, so maybe I'm some conspiracy theorist that's denying something that really is true, I don't know it if I don't believe it. I have to believe it. I think that's common sense. Um, so, but for, for it to qualify under justified true belief, we have to start there. It has to be something that I believe. I can't know something I don't believe. Okay, second, it has to be true. We can't know something that's false. Maybe this stands in contrast to postmodern claims currently. So I am not a big fan of the phrase, my truth. You know, I heard people, we did a college visit with Claire yesterday, and one of the speakers talked about that, and it just drives me crazy. But um, so postmodernism claims that I have my truth, you have your truth. We can all, all have separate truth. We don't believe that as Christians. Um, in Reformed theology, we do not affirm that. So we say that for me to know something, I have to believe it, and it has to actually be true. If it's not true, I may believe it, but I'm wrong, and so I don't truly know it. Again, pretty simple. The controversy comes in here with the justified part. This basically means that we, have to, we must have good reason to believe it. So we do believe it. If it's true, then we move to this one. I also have to have good reason to believe it. Maybe that's evidence. Maybe well, we'll, talk, we'll keep talking about it. I have to have good reason to believe it. So for instance, if a guy's on trial for murder, okay, he's been arrested, he's charged, he's, he's, in, he's on trial for murder, and the prosecutor paints him as a villain with the curly mustache and the look of a killer, right? So the prosecutor pins everything on, well, you just look at him. You know he did it, okay? He could truly be guilty. The jurors could believe that he's guilty, and he may be guilty, but where's the justification? So far, we're still lacking that part of the triangle, right? So the jurors might believe he's guilty. He, he, let's say he is actually guilty. They don't know he's guilty. Um, so this is, this is the sticking point in justified true belief. And there's no real consensus as to what constitutes justification. I'm not, in general, not just this murder example here. There's no real consensus. So the question becomes, what norms govern and evaluate our claims to knowledge? So if I claim that I know something, I have to have this component, but there's no set criteria for this. There's no official way to say, okay, this, I mean, who would be in charge of that? So that's, that's the problem. Um, so th things we know are not, not merely beliefs, but they, they have to be beliefs, beliefs that we ought to have. I'm just going to write the word ought. I ought to believe it for it to be real knowledge. Again, this, you don't have to agree with all of this, and it's way more complicated. I'm trying to give us a, 
a surface understanding of it, but this is an overview of justified true belief. <clears throat> so the justification part of this triangle has an ethical dimension. I ought to believe it. I need evidence. That's an ethical component. So I'd say for this ethical dimension of justified true belief, for Christians, it presupposes God. He's our starting point. He's the only adequate source of norms that would, that would govern that part of the triangle. So we don't know anything, as Christians I'm speaking now, we don't know anything that we ought not believe. We don't know anything that we shouldn't believe. We'll come back to that in a second. I want to press on. Um, so for Christians, if we seek knowledge, we begin with God, right? Actually, we begin, according to Scripture, we begin with the fear of the Lord, but that presupposes God. More Scripture here. I, I won't always read everything that's up on the, on the board, so if you see something new there, just read it on your own. More Scripture, more evidence from God's Word. The Lord knows. The Lord knows everything. There are more scriptural proofs on your handout. I, don't, I suspect I don't need to spend a whole lot of time here proving to this particular group that God knows everything. But that's, that's the idea, right? Scripture's full of examples. God knows. God knows everything. He knows it completely. Okay, let me go back to the triangle. Good, I am on page two. I was... Afraid I was still on page one of my notes, which would not be good. Alex? I'm just kind of curious about the justified thing. The justified yeah. thing, like personal experience, or is it more of just like, here are all these compelling reasons, you know what I mean? Or maybe both. That's the, that's the thing. It depends on your, your background. It depends on what are the guiding principles of your life. That's why there's no, this one's less objective, it's more subjective, and that's where the difficulty comes in. So do you mean us as Christians? Or in you mean in general, yeah. yeah. This is why you end up all over the place, I think. Yeah, Micah? We're saying no. Well, oh, justified and untrue? Yeah, so if it's true, then it follows it's justified. Okay, so it's out. It's out in terms of true knowledge because it doesn't meet that one. But you're asking, could it be just, could you have this one and this one without that one? Right, because if you couldn't, then it would automatically be justified as true, if it's true. I'll come back to the justified part being subjective, and it depends on who you value and who you listen to and what your system is. So yeah, I think for sure you could have a belief that somebody justifies. Now, I may come along and disagree with his justification on it. Cheryl? So, is this different than faith? Great question. Um, I'm not sure if I answered the previous two. Let's just try to move on and see if it shakes out a little bit. Is that fair? Because Cheryl's question is also a good one. I want to, okay, we talked in, in general this triangle. We moved into scripture. Now we're saying, all right, as Christians, what do we do with this? Does this even fit our Christian framework? I'd say it does with some qualifications and some, you know, 
some other details here. So now let's say, all right, we're looking at this not just as secular philosophers, but as Christians. It is a theology class after all. So as Christians, going back to the belief corner of the triangle, we have to believe it, okay? To Cheryl's point, when we put the lens of our faith here, the lens of our Christianity here, I should say, this is faith, right? We believe things. That's faith. Faith is belief. Okay? So with our Christian lens put over this, we, let's, let's put faith in that corner. Um, second corner, bottom left, has to be true. To know something, it has to be true. How do we know what's true? Okay, scripture. Scripture tells us what's true. That's a foundational principle for Christians, right? So our belief is our faith. We know what's true because we look to God's word. Now the justified part. For, it to be, for us to be justified in the belief, we have to have reason to believe it. And so as Christians, we're going to use God's standard. Okay, so this is the subjective part. It would be different for a Buddhist. It would be different for an atheist or just a rank pagan. But as Christians, we're going to say, all right, for me to be justified, for me to say I ought to believe this, I'm going to base that on God's standard. You guys with me? Uh, because this is more an interpretation of Scripture. So even among Christians, you may have some disagreement up here, but we're all on the same page, more or less. We're headed in the same direction. So yeah, this is kind of an application of Scripture and an interpretation of it. What do you mean? The justification couldn't be objective. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's, I see what you mean, yeah. Okay. So for me, as a Christian, as, let's, this is a Reformed theology class, let's say as a Reformed Christian, for me to know that something's true, I have to believe it. I have to be able to, to root it in Scripture I'm not saying that every scientific principle that I believe in, I can find a proof text in scripture, but my hermeneutical principle is to go there and say, okay, this is the foundation. I'm building from here. And then I interpret it and I seek wisdom from God. And we have a whole, you know, in two weeks, we'll spend a whole Sunday morning on, on wisdom. Okay, it's God's standard. So for me as a reformed Christian, Justified true belief is helpful insofar as it goes for me to know that I know something. How do I know that I know it? How does that stand apart and distinct from an opinion? I have a ton of opinions, too, that I wouldn't say I know. I'd be happy to talk to you about all my opinions some other time, which I think are all correct, but I don't say I know these things because of this. Good? Questions? Okay, that's the philosophy part, and I'm right at about my limit. 
Okay. God's knowledge. Okay, that's the purpose of this class. We're studying the attribute of knowledge. So God's knowledge. We, human knowledge for the Christian depends on God. Okay, that's our bedrock principle. God's word, God's standard, we're building up from there. So if human knowledge is dependent on God, God's own knowledge depends on who? I think this logically follows, but himself. Reformed theologians say that God's knowledge depends on God. My knowledge depends on God. Without God, I don't know. According to my lens, I don't know anything without God. Reformed theology says that, that, that God's knowledge depends on himself only. So God's knowledge self-attesting, self-referential. Are you tracking with me on that one? And self-sufficient. He doesn't go outside of himself for any of that. He's self-attesting. He doesn't need anyone to vouch for it. He's self-referential, self-sufficient. God, he's the ultimate truth. In fact, truth is what he is and what he has decreed to be. That's truth. So he doesn't go outside of himself for any of this. God's knowledge is self-attesting, self-referential, self-sufficient. God's knowledge, therefore, is eternal. So why do I say that? because it's rooted in himself, and he is eternal, without beginning, okay? And he knows himself, and he knows his plan for the universe, which was laid before the foundation of time. So it's also eternal. So God's knowledge is all the self stuff, but it's eternal, because he's not going outside of himself for any of it. Remember the passage that we began with. Remember this one at the beginning So God's, God's knowledge is exhaustive and perfect. We had this on our slide at the beginning. Let me write it again here. How would you describe God's knowledge? He's omniscient. He knows everything. I'm doing all the talking. This is what I said I didn't want to do. Thoughts, questions, Daniel? Just a thought. Um, you had mentioned earlier people talking about my truth, and I think this slide gets to at least the heart of why that frustrates me so much, because they're essentially, or, and, and even when we slip into that same kind of thing, which we do sometimes, I don't always say that, but we're putting ourselves as our own God. We are self self-attesting, okay. self-referential, self-defense. This is my truth, and it's true because I say it's true. You know, we're, we're making ourselves to be God in, in reference to, to knowledge. 
Yeah, I love that. I think that's a great insight. Um, this whole justified true belief thing, I think, leads to a lot of arrogance if we don't root it in our faith and scripture and God's standard. Now it's outside of us. We're pointing to God. We're not, we're not claiming our intellect, our towering intellect, as the source of knowledge. See, everything's pointing away from us and toward God. Yeah, that's great. Anybody else? Let me go back to triangle. Mm -hmm. This is how I'm going to explain it when I go home uh, to the kid and my wife. But the faith, the scripture, how you have it, the Bible, right? And then uh, pretty much God's standard. I, I kind of made a little note as far as like our morality, you know, like how do we really live our lives if we're not following scripture? And that's how I'm going to tell my kids and my wife, like, just listen to this, this is what I learned today. Would it be wrong to explain it like that, or how should I know? No, I love, I love that. You guys have any thoughts on that? I mean, you're bringing, that brings in this ethical component here. Yeah, I think that's really helpful. AJ. It's really, it's been, I'm glad you talked about that specifically now, because I've never considered it before, but it's really important when you think about it. If you're going around teaching something as truth, you should know why. Okay. That's something, so it's really helpful. And I think, um, Marcos, the best way to teach it would be to have the slide. <laughs> and also use this or draw the triangle out so that you know. I do that. That's it, man. But it's really, it's helpful because it's something that, you know, even like on another level, related but somewhat different, knowing things, I would, and I think, being Ben's always roommate to tell me not do this, but because he's always like checking your sources. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you'll I'll say, like, oh yeah, well, actually, this costs this much, or there's that many people live here, and he's like, why? And I'm like, because I said so. And it's like, well, where did you hear that from? And so this isn't exactly that, but knowing why you're, if you're saying something to somebody, even something like, you know, Chick-fil-A has a deal on Saturday for being with this person in Lumberton County. And you're saying that to them. You're actually declaring like truth to them mm -hmm. in a sense. Now, Chick-fil-A sandwiches on Saturday are not as nearly as big as God's word, but you're still teaching something to that person. You're making a statement mm -hmm. as if it's fact you're teaching to them. So it's important that we know why we believe what we believe. Yeah. And that we can know how we know that it's yeah, and we could spend a hundred more classes talking about us and how we know what we know. And we could, we could go down that path, and it would be good and helpful. Um, and we had to cover this, but I want to point out this, this particular lesson is about God's knowledge. And so a big reason why we covered this in, term, in relation to us is to say God is... all of this, we're, we're elevating God and saying he knows everything. And he knows everything without going outside of himself. He's not learning it. He's not compiling it. He's not, you know, learning it as he goes. Cheryl, go ahead. Okay. 
I, Jesus, would do this. Okay. You know, or phrases like that, that, that and it really is like what Daniel says, wanting to, to, and I think it goes back to that, justified when you say their interpretation, you know, like, people might say this truth, God, God, you know, divorce, talks about this, but then their interpretation is, well, God wants me to be happy. Yeah. So therefore, I can get divorced because I'm not happy. You know, and all those interpretations go back to really me and what my truth really is. Mm-hmm. And, and is taking away from God being the absolute truth. Yeah, great point. So that Reformed theology, when done well, is always taking the focus off of us and putting it on God, right? We'll talk next week a little bit about Arminianism and some other um, competing systems. But if we're doing Reformed theology right, we're saying, yes, communicable, we share in this, but God is way up here. Self-attesting, self-referential, all the stuff, eternal, not learning, declaring it all sovereignly, omniscient, knowing every detail. This is God. AJ. I think it's worth saying too, or if if you get into a conversation with somebody who attacks the belief aspect of knowledge specifically, is that at some point everybody exercises belief in what they say they know. I don't, I mean, you might have already hit that, but, and it might sound like common sense, but if you say, you know, people that would say, I know the earth is the soul, haven't actually done the carbon dating themselves, haven't actually, I mean, they're, they're basing even that on like... Yeah, their justified part of the triangle is going to point to someone else. It may be a system, it may be a, a source of norms that we reject, but they're pointing to something, and we do that too, and I'm okay with that. We have to do that, but we're pointing to the one who is all of this. So our justification comes here, and I think it's beautiful, and I think it's biblical, and I, well, we'll cover that in a second as we close here. We, had, we have about five minutes left. Um, great comments. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate that. So uh, go ahead and read that as I talk. Okay, great passage from Isaiah. that connects God's knowledge with his control, creation and providence. Okay. This is all self-contained stuff. He didn't learn this from anybody. He knows it because he created it, or since he created it, he knows it. I won't quibble about that. Um, He knows how it works. He knows all the intricacies. He moves all the levers in order to execute his plan. You see that from this passage? He creates, he sustains, he orders everything. So this is, this is providence. So um, remember earlier this morning, I, I mentioned propositional knowledge, objects of knowledge, propositions, as opposed to skills and persons. So as we wrap things up, I want to recognize that we've focused on that, and I I hope it's been helpful to elevate God and say he knows everything. 
So this powerful God who created and sustains everything and orders everything, you know, this passage here, all of this stuff, you could go any number of places in Scripture to prove that. This God, who is incommunicable in, in the sense of, of it's communicable, but we can't reach that, that standard. This God, who's big and knows everything, is not merely a God of propositional knowledge, but he also knows you. So I want to just put that here in capital letters. He knows all the propositions, and he also knows you and knows me. Scripture frequently speaks of God's knowing people, right? His covenant knowledge of people. It's not propositional, that's covenant. It's, it's him knowing us. Amos, for instance, says, in Amos, God himself says, you only have I known of all the families of the earth. You only I have known. He knows everybody, right? But he's speaking of a, of a deep covenantal knowing. <coughs> known elsewhere in scripture, sometimes the, the Hebrew word or the Greek word is, gets translated chosen. So God knows you. He's, he's chosen us. He knows us. He knows sinners too. He knows them exhaustively. He knows all the details of their lives. He evaluates them perfectly. So that's a blending of the propositional and the personal knowledge. God knows sinners. He knows the wicked. Sinners can't escape his knowledge. So again, lots of scriptures, we don't have time to, to look at, at those, but I'm sure, I'm sure lots of things come to, to mind for you guys, right? Where God's knowledge is connected to his judgment of sin and of sinners. So wicked people may think he doesn't notice what they're doing, but he does. He knows them. He knows the propositions, and he knows them, and he will judge. But for the righteous, God's knowledge is a covenant blessing. So does he know you? He does. That's what this whole lesson's been about. He does know you. That's a covenant blessing for us if we're in Christ. He does know you. He knows what Jesus did for you. His exhaustive, perfect, and complete knowledge is a blessing because he knows what's happening in your life. He knows all the propositional stuff about what you're going through, but not in a detached, abstract way. Not sure I'm doing a great job explaining that, but think about our understanding of all the stuff that God knows, and then isn't it a huge blessing and benefit for me to be able to say Scripture also teaches that He knows you, so He knows what you're struggling with. He knows all of these things, Micah. Yeah, I mean, it's an intimate knowledge. It's a choosing. It's a covenantal, intimate knowledge. Not, not, just the, not just the facts about me. He knows me. Um, so in this today's world of people wanting to make themselves God and hating God and making fun of people who do believe in this false God, supposedly, um, what would you say, how would you use this knowledge and intimate relationship? Would it be mostly like testimonials for like um, trying to reach them? Where there are like their hardness of hearts that they've hardened against God, would that be a good tool? Or what kind of? Yeah, I mean, I think it can be used both ways. So, 
Yeah, it's a blessing to us. It's not a blessing to those who are hiding from him or who think that he doesn't see, because he does. We know, he, we've covered that. He knows all the stuff, he knows all the details. So when you move beyond the propositional into the personal, then yeah, it's either, it's either the most horrific thing imaginable that God knows me, or it's the greatest possible blessing to know that he knows my struggles. He knows family hardships with illness. And he's, he's intimately connected with us. So application of that, there are many. It, he, he hears us when we cry out to him. He knows everything and he listens to us. And he invites us to cry out to him. And when we cry out to him, we're not bringing him new information. But we are connecting with him and using his promises from his word that he knows us and he loves us and will never leave us. All of this stuff. This is God's knowledge. So it's communicable. It's a communicable attribute. And we demonstrate this as we love each other and live in community with each other. But we do so, so imperfectly compared to him. So when, when we cry out to God, he hears us. Uh, for me, and I, I hope all of us, this stirs up reverence and awe and humility, confidence, stirs up confidence in me because I know that it's, I'm pointing to someone who knows everything. I can be confident when I do that. So it stirs up all of these things, including praise and worship, and it's time to go there. So thank you guys for your input. I really appreciate it. Um, let's close. Lord God, thank you for your love for us. Thank you that you have entered into a relationship with us, that you're not detached, that you hear us when we cry out to you. I pray that you'd bless each one and each family represented here. And I pray that you would indeed guide us as we enter into worship of your son, Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to Truth in Life. If you enjoy this series, make sure to subscribe. And remember, this is truth to live by.